And so much with Jesus holding out his hands and saying, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am God. The original manuscripts leave out that word he. He says to this woman, I am. This is one of the seven I am statements that we see in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses to proclaim that he is God. It's important for us to remember that Jesus is God. It's important for us to remember that the Gospel of John has been written so that we might believe that Jesus is God and that in believing we might have life. I, um, I seem to have been doing this past couple of days um, three or four days, some really absent-minded things. I appreciate so much Pastor Jim taking the blame for the bulletin, having the wrong scripture on it, but that was my fault, not his. <laughs> We're studying John chapter 3, beginning in the 22nd verse and going through a large part of the fourth chapter, and I put John chapter 2, going through a large part of the third chapter. Last night, I, um, I put my clock back instead of forward. And I, I didn't realize it until I went to bed. And so I went to bed an hour later than I should have. And I got up an hour earlier than I should have. And um, um, <laughs> I think it's causing some confusion in my brain this morning as I was uh, studying some more and praying and I started to wonder if what I had planned to do this morning was um, what the Lord wanted me to do, or was I just in a fog and confused? And um, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't know. I think what I want you to get this morning is that Jesus loves people. This conversation that you just saw with the Samaritan woman is at least the fifth time we see Jesus offering himself to someone. We see John the Baptist point to Jesus and he points Andrew and John to Jesus. And he, he says to them, Jesus is all that you need. And they have an encounter with Jesus, and Andrew runs and gets his brother Peter and brings Peter to Jesus. And Jesus' message to Peter is, I'm all that you need. Jesus is all that we need. Jesus finds Philip, I'm all that you need. Philip has an encounter with Jesus and goes and gets Nathaniel. Nathaniel comes to Jesus and he sees without Jesus even saying that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that Jesus is all that he needs. Jesus also has an encounter with a very religious man named Nicodemus. And here we see in the fourth chapter of John another encounter where Jesus offers himself to someone. He expresses his love to someone by offering himself, by giving of himself. Oh, that we would love like Jesus loves. 
I think that's what the Holy Spirit would have us take away today. We did a series on love. We said that God was the source of love. We said that God was the giver of love. That God is love. That love is more than just an emotion. It's an, it's an action. If God is the source of love and God is the giver of love, if we pray and ask God to give us a love for other people, it is a prayer that he will answer. Maybe before we leave here this morning, we ought to just spend some time praying and asking God to give us the burden for people that he has. Maybe we ought to spend some time praying and asking God to give us the, the passion and compassion for people that he has that he would help us to love people the way he loves people. It's an interesting thing in Scripture that Jesus loves, loves this Samaritan woman. Jesus is Jewish. You know that, don't you? This woman was a Samaritan woman, and I thought it would drive home the point a little deeper if we understood the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. I want to begin this passage, our, our, our time together, by looking at the, the third chapter of John and, and just the 22nd verse. It says, after this, John three twenty two. after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. After this, what is after this? This is everything that has occurred since we see Jesus calling to himself those disciples. These five that he had called at this particular time, he spends time with them. They travel to Cana. They go to a wedding. They travel up to Caperna. They travel down to Jerusalem. They uh, attend the Passover feast. Jesus cleanses the temple. People see more miracles. Jesus has an opportunity to have an interaction with an extremely religious man, a well-thought-of man, a powerful man, an influential man, a well-educated man. His name was Nicodemus, and Jesus' message to Nicodemus was very simple. I love you, and I am the way. You must be born again, was the message that he had for Nicodemus. And when it says here, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, it's talking about all of those encounters. He finishes his conversation with Nicodemus and he gathers up his disciples and they go into the countryside. We don't know how long they were out ministering, but we know what they were doing. Jesus was expressing his love for other people. They were ministering to other people. They were sharing the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Many people, the Bible tells us, were coming to Jesus. Many people who had needs were coming to him. Many people were expressing authentic faith in who he was, the Messiah, that he could meet needs. Jesus is all that we need. We see in Jesus' encounters in the scripture that, that people are expressing to him physical needs and his response to them is to give a, a, a spiritual ministry in their lives. That there are real needs, there are felt needs, there are physical needs, 
But Jesus' response is always this, this idea of understanding that there is a spiritual need that we first must satisfy in our lives. And He is the only one who can satisfy that need. So they're ministering. Some commentators say that, that there's a six-month time period that elapses between Jesus ministering with his disciples in the Judean countryside before the Bible tells us that in, in John chapter 4 and verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. The King James says, and the New King James says, he must go through Samaria. Now that's an, an interesting thing. It allows us to, to take a brief look at the history of the Jews and the Samaritans. Peter, if you have that first map there. In 722 B.C., 720 years before the birth of Jesus, the Assyrians came from the north and conquered, if you will, Jerusalem. They took out of Jerusalem all of the people except for the most poor people and the people who were not physically able, and they took them back to Assyria. Assyria and Babylon would come and they would plunder in Jerusalem, and some came and even made their homes in Jerusalem. And the Jewish people that were left there in Jerusalem began to intermarry with the Assyrian people and the Babylonian people. Some 300 years later, when Nehemiah came to repair the walls in the city of Jerusalem, and he, 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 he came to begin re rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, he would not allow those Jews who had remained and intermarried, and their descendants, of course, he would not allow them to participate in the reconstruction of the city of Jerusalem, and especially the temple. And the Samaritans and the Jews were, were, were separated. And there, there, there began to be this hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. So much so that Jewish people would not even walk through Samaria. If you could locate Jerusalem on that map. When, when, when the Jewish people, people wanted to travel from Jerusalem up to the Galilean area and the the city of Capernaum, for example, and the city of Cana, for example, what they would do is they would walk east to Jericho. They would cross the Jordan River at Jericho, and then they would walk north all the way up to the Galilean area or to the Sea of Galilee. But you can see from the map that it, this, this, the shortest route, the best way to go, is to go directly from Jerusalem up to Galilee, but they refused to do that because they would have to go through Samaria and the hatred and the, the, the racial tension and, and, and this, this um, uh, bias was so strong that they would take a, an extra day's journey so they wouldn't have to walk through Samaria. That's why in John chapter 4, it says that... Um, in the second verse, in the third verse, that he and his disciples left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He must pass through Samaria. 
Why? Because God the Father had set a divine appointment for him. Because God the Father is the one who draws people to himself. Because God the Father is a God of order. Because Jesus was in, in perfect union with his Father. Because Jesus has, has said to us, and we'll see again later in our study, that he, he, he goes nowhere that the Father doesn't tell him to go. And the, the Father gives him his, his route for going to Galilee. And he had to go to Samaria. He had to go to Samaria because he had to have an encounter with this Samaritan woman. We see him as he gets into Samaria. He is tired and he's thirsty. This Samaritan woman comes to draw water as you saw on the depiction. And I don't know if you could kind of see beyond what was on the screen and, and, and see the incredible amount of compassion and love that Jesus had for this woman. Jews didn't even talk to Samaritans. They tried not to even travel in that area. Jesus was a man. She was a woman. Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher. She was a Samaritan. But Jesus loves people. It's not a prejudiced bone in His body. He seeks to break down these these, these cultural barriers, these racial barriers, these pre, pre, prejudiced barriers, because he loves people. He begins to interact with this woman. We are going to take an opportunity in the coming days to really break down this conversation that he has with this woman. There's, very, there's so very, very much to learn from it. One of the things that this woman says to Jesus is that, is that her people, because they're ostracized, because they're separated from the Jewish people, because they're not allowed in the temple, that her people have built their own temple. This is in a city called Sychar. Peter, I don't know if you can find that second slide. It's a little bit hard to see, but you can see that, that their Sychar is kind of the heart of Samaria, and Mount Gerasim is right there at the base of Mount Gerasim is Sychar in his own Mount Gerasim that they built a temple. The ruins of that temple you can still see today. I think I have a slide of that. That's the ruins of the temple that the Samaritans built. And this is where they would go and they would offer their sacrifices, and this is where they would go, and, and, and they would worship God, and, and, and this is where they sensed that the very presence of God was. And when the Jewish people, of course, of course learned about, about what their practices were, they hated them all the more. There was a hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. But Jesus loves people. Jesus loves all people. There couldn't be a greater difference between the man that Jesus had talked to six months earlier in Nicodemus and the woman who's not even given a name in the Scriptures. The woman at the well in Samaria at the city of Sychar. This man that Jesus spoke with was powerful and influential and he was very moral and he was religious and he was educated and he was wealthy and he was clean. 
this Samaritan woman was poor and she was immoral and she was uneducated and she had a bad reputation. As a matter of fact, we know from the writings of Josephus, a first century historian, that there was a well in Sychar that she could have gone to, but she traveled a half a mile outside of the city walls to come to this well that was the well of Jacob, an area that Jacob had given his son Joseph, where Joseph was later buried after his death. She wasn't even accepted, received, cared for, loved by the Samaritan people. She goes to the well outside of the city, but Jesus loves her. Jesus begins to interact with her. He perceives, and this is what we can learn, I think, from this interaction. He perceives the need in this woman. This woman describes the need to Jesus by making sure he understands that the need is not a spiritual need, but a physical need. This woman was in, 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 in dire need, in a desperate need of a relationship in her life that was real and authentic. She had gone about it all wrong her whole life. She had been married five times and divorced five times. And, and now that she was, she was with a man that, that wasn't even her husband, she, she so desperately needed to be loved. She needed that authentic relationship. Everybody that we have encounter with, everybody that we cross paths with, the people that we interact with, folks, can I tell you this morning, would you agree with me this morning? We all have needs. I, I believe our, our most basic need is to be loved, to feel loved, to experience love, true love, authentic love, transparent love, unconditional love. But the, the, the needs go beyond that. The, the, the need to feel significant, the need for identity, the, everybody that we encounter, every single individual in this room, we all have needs the tendency that we have is to meet those needs from something physical. Jesus takes this conversation and he uses the water as an illustration. It's not the physical water that you need. He says to her, I can offer you water that if you'll drink it, you'll never thirst again. Oh, that aroused her attention. That got her curiosity up. I want to know more about this water. But all Jesus was trying to do was to say to her that your greatest need is not a physical need, it's a spiritual need. And that's when he's able to say to her, I am. I can meet that spiritual need. I believe the thing that drew this woman to Jesus was his love for her. The more I... I learn about Jesus, the more I get to know Jesus, the more I know that Jesus, Jesus has genuine love for people. He loves people. He loves all people. He loves Nicodemus, and he loves this woman at the well, and he loves everyone in between, and he expresses that love. He makes himself available. He offers himself. He spends 
time with people. He shows compassion to people. He, he's interested in, in what their needs are. Here's the point this morning. So should we. So should we. He wasn't interested in giving this woman a sales presentation. It wasn't something that was on his to-do list. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He had traveled. But he took the time. He expressed his love. People respond to genuine love. It's our most basic need to be loved. Oh, that God would bring us to a place where we would love people the way Jesus loves people. Look, there's a lot to learn from this interaction. I can't wait to start sharing with you what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about worshiping and spirit and truth. I can't wait to share with you how Jesus appeals to this woman's heart and how he appeals to her mind and how he appeals to her emotions and how he uh, appeals to her her desires and we'll we'll look at all of those things today but but I think that what God would have us do today is to to ask him to break our hearts for people to ask him to give us a burden for people to ask him to help us to love people people who aren't like us People who come from different cultures. People of different races. Jesus comes and he wants to break down all of those walls. He wants to offer himself. He wants to give himself. This woman responds to the genuine love that Jesus offers her. She, she receives and she accepts from him what he offers. He's the Messiah and he can meet the spiritual need in her life. And when she accepts that, when she receives that, when she embraces that, her life is transformed. I want you to see the result. I, I, I want you to look and see the difference this encounter makes in the woman's life and I want you to see the difference this encounter makes in Jesus' life. Peter, show that clip if you would. With Jesus, her life is transformed and she can't wait to tell other people. Just like John the Baptist. Just like Andrew, Simon's brother. Just like Philip who went and got Nathaniel, they encounter Jesus. They have a true encounter with Jesus. They can't wait to tell other people. She's excited. She runs. She leaves her pot there at the well. Maybe because she began to understand that her real need was not a physical need. I don't know why she did. Maybe it was her way of sacrifice. Maybe it was her way of leaving water for Jesus to drink because when you, when you love, you give. When you fall in love with someone, you, you, you want to minister to them. I love the way this impacted the Samaritan woman's life. It transformed her. It changed her forever. I love what it did to Jesus. I don't know if you could tell this in this depiction. 
in this true story, but I, I sensed in the very demeanor of Jesus a, 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 an excitement that, that, that he was energized. All of a sudden, he, though he was tired, though he was thirsty, though he was hungry, he stands up. He's got this big smile on his face. He loves seeing people come to him. He loves seeing lives transformed. He, he, he's excited as the disciples come. They offer him food. He goes, look, you, you need to understand my food is to do the will of the Father. That's an interesting verse. I think it's the 43rd verse of the, of the fourth chapter. He says, uh, at, or, or let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. The 34th verse, the 34th verse of the fourth chapter. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He's saying that, that, that when I'm doing what God has called me to do, when I'm following my heart, when I'm expressing this love and this compassion, it, it, it sustains me, it nourishes me, it energizes me. This is what I need in my life. I, I need to understand what God's will is, and, 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 I, and I need to be about His business. Man, He has this incredible way. We see it over and over again in the Gospel of John of separating the physical from the spiritual and, and placing this, this importance, this priority on the spiritual. It's the spiritual that drives the physical, not the physical that drives the spiritual. Folks, we got to get that way in our lives. It's the spiritual He's the cornerstone. He's all we need. It's in direct. It's, it's in that intimate relationship with Him that we begin to see how physical needs are met. It's in His direction. It's in, in the way He leads us and guides us. Jesus always separated the spiritual from the physical. He understood that it's the spiritual that truly gave Him nourishment, that sustained Him, that energized Him, that drove Him. That that would be the testimony of our lives. And then he says in verse 34, uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In verse 35, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. As you see him say that in the video, you can see his excitement about that. Jesus is saying, you know what? You know what the will of the Father is? The will of the Father is laboring in the harvest. The will of Father is loving people. The will of the Father is sharing people their greatest need, their spiritual need. I don't think it's too much of a stretch. There are different applications you can use for this, this wonderful passage of Scripture that we, we, we're probably most familiar with, this idea of the fields are wide unto harvest. What we need is laborers for the field. What, is, what, is, what are the fields? What is he talking about here? Well, I think that, that, that everyone needs Jesus, and, and so that really everyone could represent these fields, but I think he has something different on his mind here. I think he's talking about the Samaritans. I think he's talking about the rejected ones, the forgotten ones, the ostracized ones. Those who some would say are the unlovely ones. I think that is a field that is white unto harvest. Jesus said it's, it's tougher for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God than, than it is for a camel to go through a, a needle of, a, an eye of a needle. That's tough. 
He says, but look at these fields. Who do you interact with that's kind of the forgotten one? You'll interact with them this coming week. They're desperate to know that you love them, that you care about them, that you're interested in them, that you want to share with them. They're, they're dying. They're, they're interested in, in knowing how to have this need met, this need for love, this need for acceptance, this need for significance. They're interested in knowing that. I can tell you this, that they're thinking in their minds that there's a, there's a physical answer to that need, but you can tell them that there's a spiritual answer to that need. That Jesus is the answer to that need. Jesus is all we need. I guess it comes down to whether or not we believe that. It comes down to loving people and believing that Jesus is all they need. That's it. I, I told Steve and Martina, hey, no accidents in God's economy, no mistakes, no, no chance, no coincidence. God has you here he wants to use you. Maybe you're here this morning and you think to yourself, I, I need that kind of water. Give me a water that I can drink and not thirst again. I need that kind of water. That's a spiritual need and Jesus is the answer to that spiritual need. Maybe you're here this morning and and, and you've done the religious thing, and you've done it well, and you, you've maybe even been faithful in it, and you, you find it lacking. Listen, th this is what Jesus meant when he said, my food is to do the will of God. My nourishment, my sustenance, what drives me is to do the will of God. What's the will of God? It's to be laborers in the, in the harvest. The fields are white. On the harvest, maybe you sense this morning God calling you. I don't want you to think of it as a task that you have to do. That's why loving people is the key. Because when you love people, it's not that you have to, it's that you want to. It's not that you have to, it's that you get to. So we got to ask God to help us love people the way he loves people. Let me invite you to stand. Would you pray with me? Are you bold enough to pray and ask God to give you a love for people? It's a prayer that he will answer. Pray according to his will. Pray in his name. Pray believing. Those are the criteria for answered prayer. We know it's his will. Are you bold enough to ask God to give you a love for people, to break your heart for people, to give you a burden for people, to show you the field that is white and to harvest, to use you, he wants to use you. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that he himself is God. I thank you that he came 
to this earth, left heaven's glory so that he might offer himself. Lord, I also thank you that he is an incredible example of how you want us to live our lives. I thank you that in Jesus we see a compassion and a love for people, for others. That he looks beyond himself, that he sets aside his weariness and his thirst and his hunger and he he invests in other people and he offers himself to other people god would you do that in our hearts and lives would you begin that process and that experience in our lives by breaking our hearts for people pray this prayer with me break our hearts burden us Give us a love for people. Help us to care about their eternal destiny. It's not a matter, Lord, of having a degree in religion. It's having completed so many Bible studies. You want to use us. You'll give us words to say. You just want us to make ourselves available to you to be used Give us a love for people so that we might make ourselves available. Change us, Lord, this morning. I pray in your name.